2: Hi, everyone, and welcome to our limited edition podcast for Decoded Pride Issue 2. We are super pumped to have you with us. And today we're speaking with a small roundtable of creators about their creative process, why queer speculative fiction matters so much, and where you can pick up our amazing new anthology. Spoiler, it's at DecodedPride.com. Hey there, listeners. Welcome to our Decoded Pride Limited Series podcast. We are super pumped to have you here with us. And I'm Essie Fleenorth. I'm one of the editors of Decoded Pride Issue 2. I am downright giddy today. I am here with our small round table, and I am so pumped to introduce our panelists. We have SB Edwards, who also goes by Sophie, the author of More Efficient Than a Guillotine. Uh what a title. We have J.D. Harlock. J.D. is the author of Love Satan. Again, come on, people. These titles are too good. Akhil Wingate, who is the author of A Murder of Crows. What's not to love about these titles? I'm already in love spoiler alert listener i've read all the stories so i know what happens (laughs) but i am just so so excited to be here with you all thank you for joining me
3: thank you for thank you for having us it's a pleasure to be here
2: oh and we have you all from like all over the world so we've got akil you're calling in from london is that correct
0: Uh, paris from london
2: paris oh sorry sophie's calling from london akil's calling from paris And then, JD, where? You're calling from Lebanon? Beirut,
1: yes. Beirut, Lebanon.
2: Oh, my goodness. This is... Well, I feel very lucky. I'm calling from Denver, Colorado. Not that cool. But, hey, I get to talk with the cool international crowd. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. I am pumped.
0: To be clear, I'm from a small, boring town in Ontario called London. (laughs) Not the big, fancy London over across the pond. (laughs)
2: LOL. My bad. Gotcha. Okay, still Canada still cooler than colorado come on
3: and denver denver sounds really really appealing to me especially given all the things that i could i could uh, get into in colorado from skiing to a number of uh, nature hikes and that kind of thing
2: it is pretty amazing you can stay with us obviously we have a beautiful garden it's like it's spring so everything's opening up i spent like 2 hours walking around the garden going what's that what's that and my partner's like that's come on we planted that last year I'm like I don't keep track so anyways um, amazing to have you all here again thank you so much for being here let's launch into our first question so I want to talk a little bit more generally to start why why speculative fiction as as a queer as trans authors what is it about speculative fiction that appeals to you specifically and let's start with Sophie
0: Sure. Um Yeah, starting off with the easy questions, huh? Um, <laughs> nice softball. <it's, laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's uh, speculative fiction and sci-fi in general is such an interesting genre because on one hand, it's so forward thinking and... Like, by definition, it's about thinking outside of current paradigms, trying to explore um new ideas and the way the world can be. But on the other hand, the vanguard of the genre has historically been cishet white dudes who are outside of their writings, pretty conservative. And so part of why I enjoy writing in this genre as a queer author, and most of my stories have queer characters in them, and it almost never revolves around them being queer. Occasionally it does, but I like to just toss them in there just to kind of differentiate, not differentiate, more to just show that we exist and we exist in any future, as well as to, um, I, I guess, just remind the Current vanguard of authors that there's more to reality than the way they look at it, and um, yeah, does that make sense? I feel like I'm rambling oh, at this point oh, no,
2: not rambling at all that that gave me chills. I think you're absolutely right the future we're in those futures, and you can't erase us just because you don't want to include us like we will include ourselves that is beautiful yeah. sophie
0: and I grew up watching star trek anyway so i'm i'm very from a very young age, I was interested in what the world can be
2: okay so who's your favorite or who are some of your favorite
0: star trek characters oh my god um well i mean my favorite captain is and this is a little controversial for some folks but my favorite (laughs) captain is janeway um because she's my
2: favorite captain is janeway bravo excellent
0: (laughs) Yeah, I just the entire idea of imagining a future where, hey, maybe things aren't awful. Like, I, I don't know why that's so hard for us as a society to do, to like why we're so obsessed with staying in paradigms that very clearly don't work for anybody and uh, or do work for a very small number of people. And um, I don't know, speculative fiction allows me to kind of step outside of the boring day to day doldrums of floating in the monkey. Of survival and uh, imagine a world that maybe isn't terrible. That's
2: beautiful. Thank you so much. Um, JD, Akhil, who wants to take it next?
3: This is Akhil speaking. For my part, when I was a student in school, the way that things such as math and science were taught was as if uh, the bulk of my teachers were um, reciting something. Um, And my father was a university president and a physics teacher, and now he's a pastor. And my mother was a pharmacist. The expectation was for someone like me and my family to go on and do something in the field of math or science or uh, government-related field. Yet, growing up and going to school, I always asked over and over again, why am I doing this? Why are you teaching this? Why do I need to learn this formula? Why do I need to learn this periodic table? Why do I need to learn these so-called laws of physics etc why 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 and the answer was always because without any full fleshed out explanation um and now that i'm an adult i've heard people explain things like math and science in a way that was never explained to me when i was a kid where when i was a kid i hated these subjects and now there there's something fundamentally organic about the idea of not knowing why, but being obsessed with finding out why. We're always told why things cannot be, and yet nobody ever really delves into why not. And I didn't really understand that until I was an adult. And so writing speculative and science fiction and, and stories that that ordinarily would be considered impossible to conceive or impossible to lay out and and um, make real um, is all all about being someone who who goes against the grain and 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 fighting for your truth and as as a gay man um, as a part of the LGBTQ um, marginalized community as a black gay man. Um, it's, it's important for me to ask myself, why not? Why not this? Why not this particular, um, setup for a story? Why not this particular character in a story? Why not these stakes in a story? Um, because rules are made to be broken and there's something to, to break it down to one simple thing. I remember reading a quote that said, um, science without religion is lame and religion without science is blind and there's no reason why all these things can't coexist and we can't sort of build worlds from our own imagination and provoke thought in the reader and generate interest in the reader and generate a sort of um fervor for for new stories that uh rather than ask why ask why not and i think that's the the main reason why i personally have become invested in writing uh this kind of um this kind of genre
2: wow that's that's so beautiful i'm so inspired so when do you think that like can you think about akhil when was that that moment was there a definitive moment when the why not became how your storytelling evolved
3: when i ever since i was a little boy my everyone around me has always referred to me as eccentric (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Ever since I was a little boy, I, um, fortunately had people in my family, my, my, particularly the women in my family who always encouraged me that no matter what anyone told me, I can do whatever I want to. And that gave me maybe a little bit of a chip on my, my shoulder, despite the fact that I would be oftentimes in a confrontation with people in authority, particularly teachers, who would tell me, no, you can't do that. And I would say to them, why not? I have every right to. Um, prove me wrong. And I think throughout my my public school education, even in through uh, undergrad and graduate school, it's always been sort of the same story over and over again. And it wasn't until I heard other people echo the same sentiments about maybe 18 or 19, where I finally allowed myself to just go with it, it just just no longer even find myself um, plummeting into those kinds of conversations with people who don't care. Um, rather than investing in the people who don't care, invest in my own sort of self-worth and my own uh, desire to really, really, really ask these questions, why not? Um, around 18 or 19. Um, but up until that point, it was, it was like I was going to war on a, on a regular basis in school, writing, uh, trying to get published or just in general asking questions in a church setting of, of pastors or religious leaders or activists or the people who were put on pedestals around me who for some reason or another could not justify why they had so many but 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 buts or no 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 no's as caveats to the way in which they they reached out to people like me so i guess basically to say once i got into once i got into university it was like okay the gloves are off now
2: (laughs) i love that i love that (laughs) and i love you know it really connects to what you said in in the first part of your answer where you talked about being a rule breaker and i think that's something that speculative fiction gives us really good tools to work with as queer and trans people to break rules so i i mean i love that that was beautiful thank you so much
0: i think the worst thing you can say to a curious kid is because i said so mm. or because that's just the way it is or whatever mm. um i remember hearing that a lot when i was a kid as well and i was just like but no it doesn't but why like there's got to be a reason don't go out in the street why because you might get hit by a car okay that i can understand but like don't you know don't do something else why not because because i said so Mm. that's that's not a satisfying answer and it's never going to be for someone who's searching for those well i mean you don't even know what you're searching for when you're like four or five but searching for something deeper Mm -hmm.
2: beautiful and and then, you know, J.D., why does speculative fiction appeal to you, particularly as a queer and or trans person?
1: Uh, well, I feel like it gives me an outlet to tell stories that I otherwise wouldn't. Uh, if I was playing with real-world tools, I feel like you, you just get to create more interesting scenarios, especially when it comes to uh, queer stories. I feel like when, when queer stories are set in the real world, they're pretty limited in what what they're trying to say or how they go about it. They're usually either coming out narratives or or like uh, narratives about like the oppression a queer person would face. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. They're fine sometimes, but when that's all the queer fiction you're taking in, it gets uh, kind of demoralizing. And I don't feel like we're being presented with stories about queer possibility or just uh, a different way of viewing the queer experience.
2: I love that. I love what you said about queer possibility. And I wonder if you could expand a little bit, tell us more about what you think queer possibility means and how speculative fiction allows us to tap into that.
1: We can create societies where uh, queerness is viewed differently or operates differently or is allowed to be expressed in different ways than the way they are now in the real world where there has been a lot of progress in the last 20-30 years but it's still rather homogenous especially where I'm from uh, in the third world yeah I just don't feel like uh, the fiction I grew up with that sort of was about queerness or being homosexual was uh, the representation I wanted or the way I wanted to view my my experience as a queer man
0: yeah I when I, when I think about, um, I, I'm not sure what your age is. I'm, I'm, I'm in my mid thirties. Oh, okay. Okay. So I'm a little bit older than you. But, um, I think back to st- like the earliest. Um, representations that I had of queer folks, and it's the same thing. It's like, it's not what the sort of stories that I want to hear. I, I think a lot of that comes from the idea that you have to include, it, there has to be a reason why a character is queer. Um, like it's, it's not just this character is queer because, hey, queer people exist. It's like, oh no, there's, there's got to be a reason, and that has to be a plot point. And like, I don't know about, about y'all, but my queerness is not a plot point. I just am. I so it, it, it uh, it's 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 what happens when you get queerness viewed through a cis heteronormative lens, I think.
1: Mm-hmm. Also, I think when it comes to the real world and setting things in a grounded reality, there just aren't that many story avenues you're presented with, especially when you're setting these types of stories in certain time periods, uh, like the forties, thirties, sixties, something like that.
2: Yeah, I think I think you all are hitting the nail on the head, right? Like it's queerness is there and speculative fiction allows us again, gives us the tools to to expand and explore our queerness and our transness in ways that maybe we can't do in in more straightforward fiction. I, I also write straightforward fiction, so I'm not I'm like I don't think one's better or worse, but I do see for myself in in speculative, there's so much room to even just twist things slightly you know like i love writing stories where it is explicitly trans or explicitly queer and i never talk about their identity or i only talk about it through the events that are unfolding on the page and that's kind of what Uh i hear y'all saying is that is that accurate
3: yeah yeah absolutely yeah i I like how in storytelling a story can be like an onion and it can be peeled back layer after layer after layer after layer and each layer depending on whether or not you've cut the the onion with a sharp knife or you've cut it with a dull knife either way the reaction is going to be something emotive whether it brings you to tears or not is 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 up for debate but the fact that as you peel back the layers, you know that going deeper and deeper in will reach a point where you are no longer unaffected. And in terms of writing speculative or writing uh, for my part, sometimes I write literary fiction, my identity or the identity of the character is, is never a device because I've always, I've always found when, when certain mainstream authors, for example. Um, have used identity as a device. It was, it was not only insulting to me as a reader, but it was insulting to me as a human being because it almost says to, to me, um, they don't see my humanity. And so therefore they're writing about my humanity and my existence as if it's something that they see through the, the caged bars of a zoo like a zoo animal or something, or a circus freak or what have you. They can't possibly see themselves in my shoes and would never deign to put me in theirs. Very, very poignant. Um,
0: Especially the idea of viewing us through this, like, almost looking at us like a freak show. Because, I mean, let's be real, a hundred years ago, we... A lot of us would have been in a freak show. I would have been, yeah. ooh, the big weird bearded lady. Look at her! Isn't that strange? And, um, mm. it, yeah, like it, it. Even though that's not the case today, we're still kind of viewed in that way. Um, and the yeah. um, the legacy of that uh, of the, those views of us from the past are still with us and probably will be with us for a long time.
2: And it seems to me that connects back to even your first point, Sophie, which is that when we, when we resist these narratives by, by seeing ourselves in sci-fi futures, seeing ourselves in fantasy alternate futures, we we break down even more of that stigma. Should we have to hell? No, it's not my fucking problem It's straight mm-hmm. people's problem, mm-hmm. but I also want to help other generations future generations of trans and queer people not have to carry the same
0: Burdens I have exactly and that's where the um It runs into the like it's not my job to do this, but also somebody's got to do it So what Mm -hmm. am I going to do? Sit here and whine about it or do something about it? I'm, I'm, I don't know. I'm too impatient to sit around and wait for stuff.
2: (laughs) Well, that one, that one hit me right in my heart. So let's go to the next question. And Akhil, I'm thinking maybe you could start for this one. So what made you decide to submit this specific story to Decoded? Uh,
3: Well, this, this story is actually excerpted from, from a novel uh, entitled A Sleep of Seasons. And this particular chapter, A Murder of Crows, um, deals with a, a little boy. Well, I guess you'd call him a man child, so to speak. He's in the sort of in the gray zone where they're the tweens. Um, and I personally at that same age, uh, had sort of begun to see myself and hear myself differently than I was told to really see myself and hear myself. And it's the best way I can relate. This is in music. You have your ears in music as a musician or as a singer or as an instrument, so to speak, where you can have pitch memory or you can have perfect pitch. And one is, one is sort of in your blood and the other one is something that you grow into. Um And for me at, Around the same age, I sort of grew into finally being able to hear myself, hear the actual voice that came out of my mouth, sort of a, an unveiling or a, a revelation of who I actually am versus who I was told I was. And the idea of something called decoded or in another way of speaking of being revealed or of being seen or being heard or being newly defined. Um, really resonates with me, and also with the arc of the main character for my story, because he himself is told that he talks a certain way, that people around him tell him, "Well, you talk like you have dead lice falling off of you." And I was told something similar to that when I was a little boy, but I don't think that's the 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 reality. I think the reality is the people who were around me, listening to me weren't hearing how I was talking. They were hearing something resonate within themselves that they were uncomfortable with. And that is the code that they have to break, that they have to reveal to themselves and see within themselves when they stare back in the, in the looking glass. So fundamentally, the reason why I sent this particular story was because that is exactly what this little boy is going through. But I also imagine so many readers will equally resonate with that. Very same message and possibly flashback to when they first really heard themselves or saw themselves. They're, they're coming upon the cusp of actually hearing themselves and finding themselves and seeing themselves as well.
2: Well, you gave me chills and, uh, I'm a little teary. That is really powerful. I mean, I, I resonate with that. And, you know, I am, I'm not a, a black man. I am not a man. And I, was so touched reading your story, I think, because you're you're right there's so much there's so much of this this young person, this young man, like struggling with the internal and the external and finding at least I'm thinking I can't wait to read the rest of the novel, oh my gosh uh the finding that voice, finding that in internal it's a cliche, but like that internal compass that 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 his way of needing to be and be seen in the world. Mm-hmm. And I, I, you know, you said, let me see if I can capture it again. You said that as a boy, people were reacting to something inside of them that they put on you. And I'm wondering if you could just extrapolate just a little bit more and, and tell us what that means
3: projection essentially. Mm. Um, so oftentimes when, for example, When adults tell a child that you talk a certain way and not to talk like that, or you look a certain way and not to look like that, or you shouldn't be playing with girls dolls or you shouldn't be wearing uh, a girl's dress or you shouldn't have, um, any flair in the way that you, 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 um, present yourself. You should be in a box like everybody else. And the reality of it is, is that no, I can be whatever I want to be. The problem is, is that you're in the box and you don't know how to break yourself free of the box. So you're projecting onto me what you think the world needs to be. From For for many years as a child, um, I had heard this repeated over and over and over again when I was finally around people in authority or professors or what have you who would encourage me would say, I don't know where you've heard this from, but you need to listen to your voice and no one else's. You need to see yourself in the mirror and not anyone else's projection of how you should see yourself. It's kind of like when, for example, you, you hear the story of body dysmorphia with with bodybuilders where they see themselves and then they think they're too small or they don't think they're muscular enough to to compete. And so they'll Overtrain and overtrain and overtrain until they've done themselves such physical damage that they're no longer able to use their physical instrument. It's kind of the exact same idea when if we don't fight back against this this uh, outside voice telling us what our inside voice is te- really telling us, we do the same kind of damage to ourselves. And 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 essentially, that's what that is: is projection, where people will project on you all their own insecurities when you are the one that's that's being free. And they possibly will never, ever be free because they grew up that way.
2: Well, uh, thank you for taking me through a therapy session. I just uh, processed a lot of internal <laughs> oh, <man>. pain. <laughs> that was beautiful.
0: Akil, I'm so glad that um, you said this is only the... A chapter in a novel, because as I was reading your story, that's what I had in mind. I was like, "This is really good, but I want more." And I'm so glad to hear that there's more. So that's wonderful.
3: It's a, it's a, it's a part of a four book saga, and because we just, you know, we don't have those. We, we've got Harry Potter. We've got, uh, you know, you've got like what was the recent recent um, uh, series adaptation, Shadow and Bone. All these different you know, sagas, fantasy sagas and speculative sagas and science fiction sagas. And every time one of them comes out, I've always said to myself, but where's me? I don't see myself in any of these, you know, it's like, I don't see, and I don't see anybody I know in any of these. It's like we were talking about devices and, uh, us being used as like uh window dressing or, or access fashion accessories. The so-called gay best friend, or the, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, whatever stereotype that the mainstream uh writer likes to pepper their work with. And at the same time, when we see these on film or in television or in, in literature, it's like we come back to ourselves and think, you know what, I don't see anybody I know in any of these pages or in any sequence on film. So how is this selling mega bucks? And being the blockbuster it is. And then at the same time, if anything, this is make-believe, whereas the speculative fiction that we all dream up is more reality. Because real people with real stakes are are written into those pages. That's the kind of the the sort of the 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 big issue I always have with mainstream speculative fiction that likes to use us as sort of the 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 background noise to their stories
2: yeah we're, we're um background noise or like pepper we're like a little spice to add mm. uh jd or sophie do one of you want to answer the what made you decide to submit this this specific story to decoded
0: yeah so it wasn't so much my specific story i mean it was just i i write what i write and then I look for journals that might fit it afterwards. I know some people find, um, they'll find like a call for submissions and be like, Oh my God, I could write something really cool for that. Um, that's, that's just never how I've operated. Um, but, um, when I came across your journal, I was really excited about it because I love to see, um, I mean, the, the first thing I talked about in this, um, in this little podcast of ours was the idea that the vanguard of science fiction is tends to be surprisingly conservative um, and doesn't doesn't tend to look like us doesn't tend to be like us. And so when I saw a speculative fiction journal geared toward queer authors, I I have never before seeing myself in a journal so much. And so I, I really wanted to be, um, I think there's a place for queer voices to be heard outside of the community as well. I think that's important because we can't just live in our own echo chamber and uh, wander off to start our own little queer commune in the, the rural part of Ontario um though so many of us would love to i'm sure but um it, even even though it's important to put our voices outside of the community uh it's it's sometimes just really nice to have a space where it's it's your cis hetero being cis het is um unusual as opposed to your assumed cis het unless until proven otherwise. Um, and uh, it's it's just exciting to me to have my work being showcased alongside a whole bunch of other people whose identities overlap enough with mine that it's um, it's 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 a different experience than um, submitting to yet another sci-fi journal run by yet another straight white dude who doesn't get my work because he's looking at it through his own lens.
2: Yeah, I mean, you you hit the nail on the head. I think that's why we started Decoded is we were, you know, submitting, but also seeing other people talking about their stories that they were submitting that we were like, this is great. This should absolutely be published. I cannot believe no one wants to publish this. And then we looked at each other and we we're like, ah, shit. Okay, let's start. A, let's, let's do it. We're in. We'll do it. Of course, we we're like, oh, great. Right in time for a pandemic. I think we actually released our first call for submissions the day before where we were living started to shut down. And it was just like, oh, what have we done? What have we done? But it's lovely. I mean it's been a really incredible experience and you know, issue one was really special and fun and and issue two is just oh my gosh, y'all brought your A game and then some. It is just story after story and and, and several comics as well that are just breathtaking and funny and make me cry and and make me think really hard and um yeah you're in good company sophie i you know more efficient than a guillotine is is a really special story so i feel really really excited to have it jd what made you decide to submit love satan to Decoded? it
1: uh, well even though uh, SFF, sff magazines claim that they're open to any stories we have in store for them Uh, They're surprisingly resistant to humor. Uh, A lot of the ones I've seen, if I check their submission guidelines, they usually say, we don't take humor, we're against humor, or, like, we have a very specific sense of humor, so take your chances with us if you have the time, or something like that. And uh, most of my writing, not all of it, but a lot of it is pretty satirical. Uh, A lot of it I can't place in, like, traditional SF magazines. And when I saw your title on tour about and what the magazine's called and stuff like that. I was like, yeah, I think uh, you're the right place for this, and I sent it off.
2: Well, we're so glad you did. We're, we're like absolutely honored to have Love, Satan an issue too, and that's a perfect segue. So, uh, listeners, J.D. Harlock's story is called Love, Satan, and it is <laughs> it is Satan's resignation letter. and it is so funny and cheeky and clever and I, you know i wanted to talk about humor jd so you just you totally segued for me because it seems to me that this piece only works because of the humor in it do you think that's true and if so what do you think the humor gives us in love satan that we can't get that we if if the a version of the letter existed without the humor we would lose
1: I feel like if there was no humor in that letter, it would be unbearable for one, and it would uh, be pretty tedious to read. I mean, I think like people would just read through it like we get it, we get it. Like yeah, everything sucks. You don't need to remind us. And I feel like the humor lightens that and makes you realize like ah yeah, that is we are we are we've gotten to a point that is uh, really is that bad uh, without uh, just like being overwhelmingly negative.
2: I think it also you're you're hitting at this really important time where we see people leaving work that maybe in the past was untenable, but they they went and worked anyways. And as especially in the US, and um, I can't speak to where y'all are located, but please feel free to chime in. You know, we have a real dearth of people who want to work at, let's say, fast food restaurants. And it's, you know, it's because like, why would I like this is terrible and I'm paid nothing and I'm exposed to illness and I'm treated poorly, et cetera, et cetera. And so there's this hilarious way that, you know, things are so bad. Satan is quitting, you know, like Satan is quitting. And, and to capture that, th- there's something about the timeliness of this that also makes it extra powerful. And I'm curious, was that something you you like were trying to do? Or is that like a happy coincidence or, well, an unhappy coincidence, I guess?
1: (laughs) Uh, No, this letter was a reaction to Trump's presidency. The original version had more pointed references to current events, but I thought that would date it pretty quickly. And uh, like some uh, some of the references I remember were like when they uh, elected a dead pimp in Nevada. Uh, (laughs) The Republicans elected a dead pimp in Nevada over a living Democratic candidate, or uh, yes, yes uh, events like that. Like I, I would actually name them, but then I thought like it wouldn't age well in like two, three years. And has been like two, three years since these events took place. So I'm glad I moved.
2: I think that was a really clever choice, as like to, and a self edit to. To make it more, you know, you made it more timeless, but you also somehow made it more timely where it's like, you know, we're seeing people, like I said, walk off jobs, not be like, you know what? Screw you. You're going to be a billionaire in a a C-suite and not like take care of your frontline workers. Like, why would I show up? And to see sort of like Satan, be like, you know what? fuck you guys, I'm out! <laughs> like, I don't know, that killed me, I think it's so funny.
1: I actually wrote uh, another version, not like another version, a knockoff of it, where the Grim Reaper designs, people have gotten so good at killing each other, but there's just no use for him anymore. And uh, it recently got accepted into a new magazine called The Deadlands that was crowdfunded, so yeah, I do feel like that concept resonated, uh, that this concept resonates with people because of the environment, the situation we found ourselves in.
2: Beautiful. Well, I can't wait to read that. I will be picking it up. Sounds amazing. Okay, so Akhil, why why use a fantasy setting to talk about the abuse of a young queer black boy slash man, as you said? I, I'm a survivor of a child abuse. I'm also a survivor of sexual assault. and. And I'm curious, I've never written a fantasy story with those elements. I'm actually lying. My story, this, uh, that's coming in issue two is absolutely has some of those elements in it. But I'm curious, like, what, what do you think fantasy ga- gave you and, and how did you harness it to tell that story in such a, you know, emotional and potent way?
3: Uh, well, there are a few things from my own, uh, my own perspective of, of also being a survivor. I, to this day have moments that i realize there are complete blocks of time that just do not exist from my childhood where people can flash back and say you know when i was 10 years old we went and we did this and for me there're just long long blocks of time where i cannot pinpoint what actually happened at that that stage in my in my childhood because it was Um, it's blocked out. It doesn't exist anymore in my head. I remember saying to myself, it's like I cast a spell on myself when I was a kid and made it disappear. And so in this story, uh, Geronimo, who is the, the protagonist, is, um, brutally abused in, in the, in the book. But, um, uh, in the story, his abuse somehow disappears, at least the language. The vocabulary that he would need to use to identify it in his mind disappears. He knows something happened. He knows something happened to him. He knows that what happened to him was horrific. But the the, the synapses in his brain do not ignite to identify what it is. There's only sort of a he's only sort of uh, associated it with the sentiment that whatever it was, it's not good. And in the idea of using magic and fantasy and, and the elements of fantasy to make it seem to the reader that this is how something like this happens. Because in reality, so many people are doubtful that people could have PTSD, that people could, could block out complete moments of their lives um, as if they never existed. I have a I have a mentor who is a Vietnam veteran, and suffers PTSD to this, to this day. But people act like it doesn't exist, like it's in his mind, like it's, it's, it's imagination. So my idea was, well, um, under what context would readers be able to see that such a thing could suddenly just go poof and disappear, even though we know it exists? And I said, well, why not use magic to do so? The, the other reason I use fantasy is because there's a larger question of, of faith and religion and science and how these things sort of coexist. And yet at the same time, when, when we kind of change the parameters around which religion exists under the roof of a church or science exists under the roof of a laboratory, but then you just, you take out the, the, the sort of the, the foundation for each one and throw it at the wall. It's all kind of fantasy as well. And the idea that uh every day uh we hear in the news about something happening with Christians or Jews or Muslims or Buddhists or people of faith in general, or in another context, we hear about the latest discoveries with dark matter or with quantum physics, etc. But we don't bat an eye at it being realistic or being real. Whereas somebody casts a spell and they worship a a dragon or they they their friends are giants. It's fantasy. What is fantasy really is? What is what is fantasy? For me, the fantasy is that some of the biggest villains and the biggest monsters that we have in stories are not the ones that breathe fire or dwell under 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 bridges. But the ones that we live with under the same roof, the ones that we put all of our trust and our faith in, who turned around and betrayed us and hurt us more so than anybody else could—that's the fantasy.
2: Well, damn, that is beautiful, and I, I, I love it. I mean, I think as a as a survivor myself, it it just there was so much that resonated there. And, and you know, even Alec Vaid Manon, if you're not familiar, is a trans model and activist who's non-binary and grew up in a small town in Texas and recently was writing about disassociation and, and mm. how they survived mm. by not being there. Mm. And I relate to that. Like, I, you know, there's all this weird shit I did as a kid that would help me numb out. And now that I've done 10 years of therapy, I like yeah. know what I was doing. But children are remarkable survivors. And I, exactly. I see that in Geronimo.
3: It's, it's strange because uh, I, I know from my own, my own personal experience that I was able to, you know, what I was saying earlier about beginning to hear your own voice. When I began to hear my own voice, I was also able to shut out other voices, meaning that when things were happening to me, uh, as a kid, I, I somehow learned to block out sounds and experiences, external experiences, no matter how devastating they were and focus on things, internal sounds and experiences that were beautiful to me. And for Geronimo's part, there's uh there's a scene that takes place where Someone wants to sort of pluck whatever this trauma is that he has, that he's kind of buried deep within himself without him being ready to, to, to do so. And his response is what I imagine anybody in that position would be. It is not for someone outside of myself. To force me to deal with my trauma without me, myself, allowing myself to deal with my trauma first. The fact that I, the fact that, uh, it's, it's sort of, um, it's sort of dressed in the skin of fantasy, um, and magic is only just to sort of ease readers into the reality of how it actually exists in, in the real world rather than just saying, this is how it is. But, um, sometimes it's, it's easier to, to, to eat like soul food with lots of hot sauce than just no seasoning. To be honest. <laughs> I'll put it that way.
2: Mm. That's a beautiful metaphor. Thank you. I, I don't want to get too much deeper because I want people to go read your story. It is something really, truly special. So thank you so much for that. Now, now, Sophie, I want to switch over to talking a little bit about your story. So more efficient than a guillotine is this, you know, angsty, almost even ragey if it, tell me where I'm wrong story it's it's deeply anti-capitalist it's deeply sci-fi and i'm just like where did this come from and then beyond the genesis how do you balance this tone of of both rage or furiousness and and hope because there's a lot of hope in your story even though it's about you know uh i'm not going to give it away about you know doing some very cool stuff to people
0: who deserve it (laughs) (laughs) that's That's one way to put it. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, there's definitely uh, everything you just said. All of the emotions were stirring in my head for months. Uh, Well, for years, really, ever since I was old enough to know that any ethical world would be a world where billionaires don't exist. I don't care who you are. If you're a billionaire, you're an evil monster. There's no way to amass that unbelievable amount of wealth without exploiting an unbelievable number of people along the way. And yeah, I I watch as my friends lose their careers. I watch as here in Canada, the price of homes is just unbelievable. Pretty much nobody can afford a house. The kind of middle-class dream is... Really, it's dead. It, it's just, it's just not attainable for anybody anymore. So yeah, I'm fucking angry um, about the world that was kind of robbed from us, the the future that uh, seems to be more and more dire with every passing day. And yet, yeah, there is a little twinkle of hope in there. Because, I mean, I'm a student of history. I... Um, I did my undergraduate degree in classical studies um focused a lot on Roman history and at the time the Roman Empire fell in a lot of ways, it would have felt like the end of the world you know it's 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 different this time around because whereas they were facing well they were facing external and internal threat threats whereas now the well, the human race is we're going to get what we deserve one way or another, whether we pull out of this or we don't make it. And um, we've, we've been through existential crises before, never quite at this level, but maybe it's a certain level of species narcissism, if that makes sense, where it's just hard to imagine a world where humans aren't here, though in some ways it's might be better if we weren't, um, for, for the rest of the animals around. I don't know. It's, it's hard for me to not, um, not be hopeful. And, uh, I guess that comes back to Star Trek as well. I mean, even in that world, World War Three wiped out a third of the po- Earth's population and then they were like, oh shit, maybe we should do things differently. Yeah. I guess there's, there's a lot of dire, There's, there's, there are reasons to be scared. There are reasons to feel like this is a very heavy, very dire time, but I don't know. It's, it ain't over till it's over, I guess.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think you, you're absolutely right. And, and there's some tension in what you said, right? Where it's like, yes, humans have become incredibly problematic on this planet. However, indigenous peoples are not responsible for that. And actually, the the vast majority of us aren't, right? It is these billionaires who have corrupted and undermined the, the structures of our societies even the ones that have been fucked up since the beginning right the us were fucked we we were founded on fuckedness like until we we really changed some things massively uh, things will continue to some degree as they are but i really think that tension is in your story because even the defiant act of the protagonist which again i'm not going to give away is is an act of hope because you know hopelessness leads us to inaction not to action and so i think that's that's something really powerful in that story and i think in in all of these stories like even satan resigning is like an amazing action right like satan is doing something and and in the process holding up a a mirror to all of us so i i you know what thank you all so much for this truly remarkable conversation today I am absolutely delighted not just to get to publish your beautiful stories but get to get to talk to you what this is so cool I wish we could talk for three more hours so again listeners make sure you go check out more efficient than a guillotine by SB Edwards love Satan by JD Harlock and a murder of crows by Akil Wingate you can go to DecodedPride.com. make sure to buy a subscription yes they are for sale they are not for free but if you cannot afford a subscription, please email us at editors at decodedpride.com. We have to charge, unfortunately, because we're an independent queer publication and we pay all of our authors and all of our um, illustrators. And so we, we the money has to come from somewhere and my, you know, country ass doesn't have a fortune behind me. Uh, I wish I did. And uh, I would just publish so many queer things. But it is a delight to to be here again. Thank you, JD. Thank you, Sophie. Thank you, Akil. And go read those stories Thanks for joining us today. You can find J.D. Harlock on Twitter and Instagram at, at J.D. underscore Harlock, H-A-R-L-O-C-K. You can find S.B. Edwards, a.k.a. Sophie, at S.B. Likes Words on Twitter and on Instagram at, at @queer.trans.writer.sophie. You can find Akil Wingate at at Akil Wingate on Twitter and on Instagram at Ace McCall Music. A-C-E-M-C-C-A-L-L Music. And you can find me, S-E Flenor, on Instagram and Twitter at at S-E underscore Fleenor.